Welcome back to the Energy Today podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Roos, and let's get into it. So this past week, looking at markets and the news overall, it's been awfully interesting kind of seeing what's going on at a high level. There's been a couple of things going on. The main thing that we've seen is the Delta variant and how that is impacting the world and how that's going to influence vaccines. Now there's talk of a booster shot, but really what I'm focusing on here is how that'll impact the pandemic and how long that prolongs and how much that impacts people's um, daily activities, which then will impact people's energy consumption, whether they you know, drive or fly more, those kinds of things. Uh, other point of concern has been inflation. We've seen prices get squeezed on a number of different things. We have labor shortages, semiconductors, all of these type of activities and challenges and supply chains, all of those things have caused some inflation concerns in the news and the markets. Also, this whole week, we've seen sort of a flip-flopping from losses to gains to back to losses and then back to gains in the broad market. And we ended up closing at a record high this week, but still it's sort of the seesawing effect that we're just kind of not really sure where things are at and where things are heading. And most importantly, um, for purposes of this show, quite a bit of oil market drama. So last week, whenever I recorded the episode and I was gathering my thoughts, I was saw breaking news that the OPEC meeting was canceled, basically, to discuss their Saudi Arabia's issue with the UAE, right? So there's been a little bit of infighting over this past week in between Saudi Arabia and the UAE. I covered it in detail on the last episode, so I won't dive into very minute detail there, but there's still some issues that need to be worked out there. So I'm going to touch on that in a second. So I'm going to touch on that, and then I'm going to talk about oil price action and then some drivers of that, um, some indicators for influencing where that is heading. And then I'll also talk about our article of the day, day, which is the privatization of Angola's oil industry. Um, So again, I touched on Saudi Arabia and the UAE and their issues uh, on the most recent episode. So high level here, OPEC has uh, quite a bit of influence on where oil prices are going and Saudi Arabia is the leader of OPEC. So over the course of the pandemic, um, they were raising and lowering production to help influence prices to get to where they can still fund their economy and diversify their economy away from just traditional oil and gas. So Saudi Arabia within this OPEC uh, group holds a large share of production compared to the UAE. And on their meeting last week, so today is July 10th, so on their meeting last week, um, they were talking about rolling back some of their production cuts and increasing production onto the market, but they weren't going to adjust the quotas necessarily per country. So, so the UAE, for example, wanted to produce more of their own domestic oil um, and didn't really see that it being fair that their production wasn't increased by as much as they say would that they wanted compared to other countries within OPEC, such as Saudi Arabia. And with Saudi Arabia holding a large share of OPEC production, well, if you're the UAE, you're sitting here like, hey, why don't you, you know, adjust your production where you have a lot more room to give than I do? Because I believe the UAE is producing producing around 2 million barrels per day as opposed to their max production of around 4 or 5 million barrels per day. So quite a quite a bit of uh, suppression there, there on that end. So 
I read some articles all over different news news uh, publications this past week about what was going on here and really kind of getting down to the core issue. And it's much more deep than just this very specific time frame of, of what they're going to produce through the end of the year. It's really hinging on this idea of wanting to produce and make good money on their oil before it's, quote, too late. And this is a, honestly a really fascinating topic because the idea, you know, rewind 10 years and the idea of, of wanting to get as much oil on the market as fast as you can before it's too late was not even relevant. But now that across the globe there's a push towards uh, a greener, renewable future, um, countries like the UAE, like Russia, want to produce their reserves that they've spent billions of dollars on before it's, again, quote, too late, um, which is awfully interesting. So basically, they're wanting to get the oil out, their own oil in their country out of the ground, sell it on the market at, at whatever oil is trading at, at the moment, which is around $75 per barrel, and then use that money to, one, fund their economy. That's kind of the main thing. And then two, diversify their economy before it's too late, right? So you think about these countries like UAE, like Russia, like even India, whose oil minister said a similar thing this past week of wanting to start selling their oil as fast as possible. They want to diversify their economy, one, towards renewables, but also they want to get into tech, get into all these things, um, real estate, just a bunch of things to make their economy not as dependent on oil. And then you combine this sentiment with many... um, oil market participants, such as agencies, administrations, companies, countries, predicting peak oil demand by around 2030. Generally, that's kind of the base case is 2030 is whenever people are saying, hey, this is where oil demand is going to max out. And then from there, you know, it won't drop off, but it'll steadily decline a little bit each year as, you know, cars are switched to electricity and all of these things. Um, again, oil will still remain relevant for if you're listening to the show, our whole lifetime, because it's in absolutely everything that you can imagine, it wouldn't make modern life possible without it. But whenever you think about the big um, sort of day-to-day consumption of oil and its products, you think of gasoline and and if you're flying on a jet and those kinds of things. Um, so anyways, all of that to say... Um, there's this. There's still this standstill within OPEC, and many are sitting here wondering whether this could be the beginning of another price war that we saw with Saudi Arabia and Russia back in April of 2020, leading to oil prices going negative. It's really in no one's best interest for this to happen between Saudi Arabia and the UAE, but it's just there's some cracks in the cracks in the family, I would say. Um, within OPEC, and you know, I wouldn't be shocked if the UAE possibly might leave OPEC, and what that, what the implications of that would be. I think these countries are sort of tired of their bigger brother um, saying how much oil that they can and can't produce, and every country has to look at after their own economic best interests because if they're not, then nobody else, no, no other country will, right? So something to certainly follow. This is the most important story driving the market, oil prices, etc. at the moment. So something awfully interesting to look at. So now uh, I'm going to talk about oil prices, um, what they look like over the past week or so. 
rig counts, inventories, and actually a new indicator that I'll I'll wait I'll wait um, to talk about in a moment. So oil prices over the past week, um, the last time I recorded the episode uh, around July fourth or fifth, uh, oil prices were at seventy five dollars per barrel, so about a week ago. Um, this week they actually took a little bit of a dip. I think it was almost sensory overload for for uh, market participants. They we saw a midweek dip to around seventy one dollars per barrel, and then they trended back up now to this seventy five dollar um, per barrel per barrel price range. Um, I got my words mixed up for a second, but um, so yeah, that's kind of where things are sitting now. Really, a, a healthy price range, I would say. Um, a lot of oil companies are comfortable at, you know, 45, $50 per barrel, but seeing oil at this prices right now, and many are expecting, um, these to continue to march higher. How much? I couldn't tell you. It'll be interesting to see where things go because there's been speculation swirling around markets that oil is going to hit 90, 100, $110 per barrel. We haven't seen those prices in years now. Um, much will be interesting to me is if oil prices continue to to rise, how much will this rhetoric of of shifting towards a greener economy be if everyone's just making so much money, at least on the company end, and how that will reflect in investor returns? Because if Wall Street suddenly gets behind oil companies again, well, that'll drive a lot of changes from the top down. And it'll be interesting to see if that trend will continue but on the flip side of that coin of oil companies becoming and oil prices really being high for you know for the foreseeable future is that prices for consumers could start going up as well which again no no, you know the Biden administration any administration would not sit on their sit on their hands and let consumers just get you know um, their bank accounts ran through by by uh, high energy prices, but one thing to to that I was actually discussing with my neighbor a little bit earlier today is whenever we see prices continue to to rise, like for natural gas and gasoline and all of those things, and then you you take um, states that are wanting to have renewables in their in within their state within their borders, right? And then you whenever capacity of those energy grids sort of starts to fail because of such a reliance on renewables. I'm not saying renewables are a failure. I'm just saying that they're not as reliable as traditional hydrocarbons, gasoline, natural gas, all those things. Uh, Whenever they start to fail, like we saw with the Texas freeze, it's awfully interesting to see kind of where that's going to head. If you you think about the reliability of oil and gas. You think about the not so much as reliability um, in in um, green technology and green green energy. It'll just be interesting to see kind of where those go. I know I got a little on a tangent there, um, kind of shifting now back to oil prices. So one thing I talked about a couple shows ago was the gap between WTI, West Texas Intermediate, uh, which is actually a futures contract. But whenever you think of the price of oil, that's what you look at. And that WTI is are U.S. gauge, right? And then Brent, Brent crude, um, is really the world gauge for oil. And there's, for a while, there was always a few dollar 
uh, price differential between WTI and Brent. A lot of that had to do with transportation costs and and um, a focus kind of around that end and also just how things operated within the world oil market. But now, as we've seen more demand for U.S. crude here domestically as, you know, reopenings, that whole narrative there, and also for other countries who are also beginning to come out of um, COVID lockdowns, demand for our crude internationally. So that price differential has actually sh- uh, shrunk to around $1 um, difference. So a little side note, um, kind of nerding out about that at this point, but uh, looking over to where rig counts are at here in the U.S., and, and these are important just because the more rig counts, the more production we can expect on the market, the more influence on the supply side of the equation we could see. Um, if demand doesn't change, then more supply, same demand, prices should go down. So looking at what rig counts are at right now, so they increased by four uh, over this past week to 479 active oil and gas rigs here in the U.S. And um, this kind of came on top of the EIA, Energy Information Agency, uh, here in the U.S., uh, estimating the oil production for the week into July 2nd is around 11 million barrels per day, which is up 2 million barrels per day. So it this this whole story is kind of making sense, at least in my, in my eyes. It's rig counts going up, right? And we have, okay, now oil production is going up. And many people are in, you know, are forecasting healthy prices of around $60, $65, $70 per barrel. We have demand kind of coming back on onto the market. So I'm feeling good about where things are at with this rig count. I think it'll be interesting as we continue to march forward over the next year, two, three years, and whenever hopefully COVID is a, is a distant memory, what that sort of dynamic will look like. So the new... Um, gauge that I talked about earlier I actually found on oilprice.com and it's called the frac spread count f-r-a-c frac spread count by primary vision um, I'm, I believe that's just a company but basically the frac spread count shows the number of completion crews bringing on production from previously drilled well so well that was drilled previously but wasn't producing these completion crews will come out and basically bring this onto production, bring the oil well onto production and it'll start flowing. So the number of crews, according to the frac spread count by primary vision, rose by two to 234 active crews working on completing rigs here in the U.S. So you kind of see how that goes hand in hand with the rig count. So the completion crews come in, they're working on that 234 active active uh, wells right now, trying to bring those onto production. Then that can translate into rig counts, which then translates to more production, like the EIA just forecasted, those kinds of things. So I'll probably continue to bring that up, the frac spread count going forward um, here on the show. So last little indicator before we move on to our awfully interesting article about Angola. So looking at inventories, just real quick, um, commercial oil inventories here in the U.S. dropped by 6.99 million barrels from the prior week, um, about 7% below the five-year average. So interesting to see. It makes me, it brings me to a, a thought of 
maybe we're just not storing as much crude inventory as we're just selling. It's kind of sort of like a just-in-time management philosophy. It's like we're producing it and then we're just bringing it to market because the demand continues to march higher and higher and higher. I believe that's what we're seeing here. If you're one that wants higher oil prices, which, you know, if you're from the Houston area, generally <laughs> you do, um, I like seeing inventories continue to go down continue to go down while we see demand and production continue to rise. I think that's a, a healthy spot to be. Again, there's no free lunch. We can't have inventories continue to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle because then there'll be shortage shortage concerns and you know, let's say we have another freeze, now we don't have as much inventory. Those kinds of external external events, but something to keep an eye on. Um as always, I'll, I'll keep on uh, talking about that on the show. So you'll, if you're listening, you'll be the first to know about where that is going. So moving on to this week's article, found this one on oilprice.com. I'll put, I'll drop it uh, in the show notes for you to check out. So this one, I'm talking about Angola, which is an African country on the West Coast. So Sub-Saharan Africa on the west coast kind of below that that big round edge of of africa so angola is the second largest oil producing country in that sub-saharan africa region and the reason why i sort of bring this up here is that angola is going on this process now that was supposed to start pre-pandemic pandemic happened things kind of shifted down the line but they've been privatizing angola has been privatizing um, businesses in their country, including their oil industry. So it's interesting, like you don't really hear of countries, you know, privatizing all of their state-run entities. It just really doesn't happen. And Africa, if you look at Africa kind of in the big picture, they've struggled with oil production over the past, say, five years as once oil prices dropped off, um, back in I don't know, 2015, 2016, lack of investment ran rampant throughout the country, it's leading to less oil production, less need for, less desire for private investment, those kinds of things. Um, and it's important to remember the fact that oil, oil production and the industry in general can really lift countries out of poverty and, and impoverished nations. And, the, and there's a lot of those in Africa. So just kind of a good thing. This is this is this is a trend towards the right direction. And I'm going to read you this quote real quick. So the quote goes: Angola is seeking buyers for state insurer ENSA as part of a privatization drive that also includes the partial sale of state oil major Sonangol. End quote. So Angola actually has put on the auction block, so to speak, 195 state-owned assets for sale, including the very, very important, strategically important Sonangol, S-O-N-A-N-G-O-L. So it'll be privatized over the next, you know, say year or so. Um, as always, you know, things are uncertain, but that's generally kind of what it seems like to me. And this company does have properties all over the world, different blocks, offshore, onshore, all those things. So very strategically important company but getting to the implications of a privatization of a country's companies and businesses and especially how it relates to 
an oil company. And it's just, there's so many questions I have here. It's, I mean, how will the market react if this company was to go private and then, and then go public after that? How will the market react to them? What, you know, what risk are investors willing to swallow when it comes to a private, ex government, now private entity? Um, is this a blueprint for other state run oil companies? other state-run oil companies to go private in the future. Um, that's certainly that's certainly a possibility. I mean, you think about all the other oil-producing nations around the world. Is this going to be something where now state-run companies are transitioning to private? What costs and benefits are associated with that? Is their access to capital different because they're a private company? Does it go up or down? Um, and lastly, it's really interesting to see a government relinquish power, which absolutely never happens um especially you know all over the world but it's interesting to see that happen in angola so then you translate this to other state-run oil companies think of saudi arabia china russia iran etc and if this is a success and angola ends up raising production attracts investment and the like there are some answers to those questions that I asked, and it'll be interesting to see the implications for other state-run oil companies and as we shift to to a more green world and what that'll look like. So that is all that I have for today. I hope that you enjoyed the article. I'll drop all the reference articles into the show notes. Um, I hope you have a great week. Uh, thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week.